I'm recording. I'm recording as well. JP, you recording? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Welcome to the season finale of Part of Us. We're excited. This is a Culture Inject production. season finale of part of us we're excited to have a special guest with us today a loyal listener and occasional writer inner Romello. Romello, welcome to the show it's good to have you join us today why don't you just take a quick moment to introduce yourself to our audience and share some of your in vogue fandom history you know where you're from how did you discover in vogue favorite album all the things <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. Um, so my name is Romello Estrada. Um, I've been a fan of En Vogue, I want to say, God, maybe for almost a decade, I think since my early 20s. Uh, actually, the first song that I discovered by them was one of their more obscure songs, which we kind of, which y'all, excuse me, talked about in y'all's last uh, podcast, which was Riddle from Masterpiece of Theater. Um, oh, gosh. Yeah, that was... And like from there, you know, I went back and looked at some of their earlier work from, you know, um, you know, past discography and everything. And uh, I kind of just did my own research about the group and how it came to be and what happened and the lineup changes. Um, so I like I said, I want to say I've been in Vogue Ben for almost 10 years now. And uh, personally, my favorite lineup, it's a couple different lineups that I prefer. Um, if we're talking about a foursome, it's Cindy, Terry, Max, and Rona, which I think was like during the 2000s, mid 2000s. But if we're talking about EV3, it's either Cindy, Terry, and Amanda, or Terry, Maxine, and Rona. So those are my favorite lineups of the group. Wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. I like that. Shake the table. I, I love a deep dive too. It's kind of like you you discover them like later on in their career. You kind of go back mm-hmm. and discover them. Yeah, well, you have to do your own research. So period. Because I think in I, I, maybe a couple weeks ago, I put in the Invo Craze um, Facebook group as well as another Invoke fans Facebook group. I put a, like a YouTube post of these like uh, millennials. They're like in their twenties who had never heard of Invoke and they watched. Um, uh, never going to get it for the first time. So it was kind of cool to see like how they react to that type of girl group. So yeah, I love, I love a good deep dive. So yes, love it. Well, welcome Romello. We're so happy to have you on our season finale. Shout out to Matan who couldn't be here. Um, but yeah, this is a finale. We're already at the end of another season. It feels like we just started. We've had some fantastic interviews this time around with some incredible guests. Like we in- interviewed Rona Bennett, which was epic. We interviewed choreographer Frank Gatson, which was awesome. Uh, you know, I talk about how he was really spilling the tea. <laughs> um, but now it's time for our final discussion. So let's get into it. Let's reflect on the previous episodes of this season. We've had some really interesting conversations. We've explored the music of En Vogue, including their Funky Divas tour, and had some awesome guests join us. So what were some of you guys' favorite moments or topics of discussion from this season? Let's start with you, Romello. Um, I guess probably the deep dives um, with uh, some of their discography. For example, Masterpiece of Theater. Masterpiece of Theater, excuse me. Uh, actually happens to be one of my favorite in Vogue albums. Welcome mainly to the club. Be- okay. <laughs> mainly Welcome because, uh, you know, 
if you think about it during that time, and I think I want to say Josh had mentioned it last episode, how these women were approaching 40 at this point in their careers. I believe Max and Cindy were 38 and Terry was 36 or so. So, and not only that, they were going into a part of music in which they hadn't really explored before, um, uncharted territory, really. It was the fusion of R&B and classical music, which I like to dub Baroque R&B, uh, you know, in a playful term. But uh, I thought Masterpiece Theater was one of their finest recordings. Um, so again, the deep dives. I think also a lot of the background episodes in which we talk about each member individually. Um, the one with Terry Ellis, I really enjoyed. Um, and aside from Maxine, she's probably one of my other favorite members because she has been consistent from day one. She's always been there throughout the lineup changes, and she's been very loyal to the group. So those were some of my favorite um, memories as far as the podcast goes. I feel like I definitely did enjoy recording the Masterpiece Theater episode just because it is you know, a, a album that's not really like regarded as some of their most iconic work. It's always, it's always in reference to their earlier work, but Masterpiece Theater is like, you know, it's a hidden gem. So really being able to deep dive and talk about what songs are good, maybe, excuse me, maybe people who aren't really familiar with the album will go back and listen to it and kind of find their favorites. Um, maybe, the girls will listen to it and probably include some of those songs into their set list. Who knows? But that was a, yeah, that was a fun episode and definitely, um, um, doing the deep dives with all of the girls just because I always say that our producer Matt and, and Matan are like encyclopedias of in vogue knowledge. So like they always include things. I'm like, I had no clue. So yeah, the deep dives with the girls individually were, were some of my favorite episodes for sure. Yeah. And if I can mention one more thing, um, what a lot of people don't know, people just think Riddle was the only single. Evidently, Love You Crazy was supposed to be the second single. Um, there is a radio version of that floating around somewhere. And again, they should add more of those songs from that particular album on, you know, into their sets. I know in the past um, with both Cindy, Terry and Rona, and then the original four um, from like the late 2000s, I know they performed it live a few times, but um, it would be good to hear them perform um, Love You Crazy or um, I know they've done uh, Sad But True once or twice, twice, I believe, and um, Love You More, but, you know. They definitely should perform Love You More because that would be a bop for sure. In like in like an arena stadium, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I also really loved the ma so it was a journey to get to the masterpiece theater episode. <laughs> and I think um we had been wondering when we were going to deep dive into masterpiece theater and so it was nice to finally be able to do it cuz we had given such due diligence to all the other albums or most of the other albums. And so um it was it was long overdue that we talked about masterpiece theater on the on the podcast um but and shout out to all of the sort of work that went into that. And I think uh, Matt actually posted some of those alternate scripts that we were playing around with on social media. So that's kind of fun to go look at. Um, but I also really, really loved 
the covers episode where we sort of like freestyled and talked about what we imagined our <laughs> own In Vogue covers album to be just because we had very different approaches to that assignment. Um, and so it's kind of fun. Almost like, you know, when, when you fan cast your favorite movie that's coming up or like that kind of like feel of um, your dream sort of uh, covers album was something that I didn't think would be as fun as it was. But it was a it was a lot of fun and was a freestyle of sorts. We didn't really plan on doing that. We just sort of flipped that into an episode. So, right. It worked. <laughs> what what um, I, have, I have two questions for Romello, but I want to hear uh, JP what his favorite episode was first. Oh, it was the covers um, episode for me. You did have a sickening list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that that was that was a very organic kind of natural um, episode that we kind of came up with. Um, it was fun. I think we had a lot of fun doing it. And I think people had fun listening to us. And Champ won the poll, I think, right? Was that what it was? Like the fan poll? Well, that sure? was... Uh, well, we can't always trust a vote. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, 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 no. I didn't, I, I didn't know that. Did I really win the yeah, poll? Yeah, you did. What? Yeah, I don't know that I we ever came no back and clue. reported on it. We never came back to report on it, I don't think. But yeah, you won the... It was it was by a hair. Don't get it twisted. It wasn't, they, it wasn't by, an overwhelming... By <laughs> My hair with who? No. <laughs> I gotta go dig it up, but I think it was like, I think JP and I were tied, and then you were first, and I think you maybe had like a you had a you had some a handful of votes. It was a good handful of votes ahead. So look, I had no clue, but thank you guys for voting for me <laughs> because I'm that girl. No, I'm kidding. No, I didn't have no clue. That's dope. So my question for Romello is, who did you vote for? And what are three covers that you think Invoke should cover that we probably mentioned or didn't mention? Um, well, as far as your first question, um, I didn't get a chance to vote because I was so busy doing stuff off of the internet. I had taken a break for like a week or so. Um, mm-hmm. So sorry about that. But for the second one, um, when you say covers, you're talking about songs, right? Obviously. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if I can remember from the letter I submitted way back when, when you did, when you guys did talk about the covers, um, I know I had mentioned some Destiny's Child songs, um, like Lose My Breath, Girl, Cater to You. Um, but there were some other ones, um, Knock on Wood by Amy Stewart, which also is a cover. And then um, maybe either Funk Boutique or Wishing on a Star by the Cover Girls. Ooh. The latter being also a cover as well. That would be really yummy. Wishing on a Star. That would be a great one. So, as is our tradition on season finales, we like to ask if any of us have discovered something new about In Vogue or experienced a change of heart on any topic. So, um, Josh, let's kick things off with you. Did you learn anything new about In Vogue, the group's music history or impact on the R&B and pop music industry that you didn't already know? Um, I don't know that I necessarily learn. Uh, there are certain things that always, like Champ said earlier, like these little facts that sneak their way into the scripts that I'm like, oh, I definitely didn't know that detail. I think the deep dive into the um, Funky Divas tour was like territory that I didn't necessarily, I wasn't as familiar with. So that was kind of fun to sort of talk about like 
I I knew about the tour, obviously, but to understand it in detail was like, oh, I see. I understand now what kind of like venues they were in and what the stage setup was giving and all of these sort of things that when I dream it up because I wasn't necessarily going to that show. um, I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool to be able to put that layer of details on it other than just the photos I had seen. Um, So that was like a fun one. And then also like the... The deep dive into the men was kind of interesting to me just because uh, it's always controversial when we bring up the men in, in Vogue's lives on the podcast. But I think it was good context that I hadn't really we hadn't really done before as to like how involved these men were and in ha- the shaping and sort of evolution of in Vogue and continue to be, to be fair. So um, I like those kinds of episodes because they give us uh I'm a context girl. They give us the context to understand sort of like how and why the history has been the history. So, yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know anything much about the Funky Divas tour. Like I had never really seen anything that I knew was from that tour or like um, or seen the the clips from that tour. So that was interesting. Um, I guess for me, I haven't really noticed anything too different from the group. Um, I guess the only thing I can say, I forget what episode it was, um, but somebody had mentioned that, I guess, during the 2000s, when Amanda was still in the group, you know, they had done an interview somewhere, and one of the girls had mentioned that they wanted Missy Elliott on, like, their record or something, and Terry was like, well, if we can afford her, and it kind of made me think, well, damn. You know, you guys are this big of a group. You should have the budget to, you know, be able to hire these people and, um, you know, to find out that they didn't really, that they were limited um, to a certain amount says a lot. Uh, so I guess that's the only thing I can think of. I feel the Funky Divas Tour one, like I said, like I wasn't like old enough to even recollect that entire situation, but being able to revisit it, the costumes, the the audio, the set list, you know, the the um, acting portions, like all that was really cool to kind of do a deep dive. And also, I really enjoy that we've implemented this a uh, rare track segment, just because I discover a lot of versions of songs, a lot of features, and a lot of in vogue, you know, unreleased stuff that I've never heard before um, and that I wouldn't even know how to find. <laughs> so how how they make it on the internet is like unbeknownst to me but I love our rare track segment because it does like give you you know a deep dive and um, more music to like listen to because it's not necessarily mainstream or available to stream anywhere. So yeah. Right and if I could piggyback off of that champ um, what a lot of people don't know about me when it comes to En Vogue as crazy and I know I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for this um, but a lot of my favorite En Vogue songs happen to be the ones that, you know, people rarely know about, more specifically, the ones that they were features on. And I think it's because, um, you know, again, it was a previous episode, we talked about how they just wanted to work with Denny and Tommy. They didn't want to branch out and work with Dark Child or Scott Storch or Stargate or, you know, any other producer other than those two. But when they were features on other songs with different artists, it kind of gave us an idea of what could have been had they been more open-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, ha- you know, for example, um, Glamorous with Natalia, uh, Never Stop with NJ Brasco, uh, the 2002 version of Free Your Mind with Sub7, 
And then obviously, what's the plus with Stevie Wonder? Um, those are probably some of my favorite Invoke songs, as crazy as it might sound, aside from the ones from Masterpiece Theater and Soulflower and stuff like that. What the Fuss was like a moment for me, too, because when I saw that, I when it said feature in Vogue, and although they were like a very small portion of that song, uh, and, and I wish they had more time, I wish they maybe like one of them was able to like do like a bridge or something. I don't know. But just, just them on in that video looking good. I always say I love, now I think that was my first time seeing Maxine with locks and I was like, oh my gosh, she looks so good. So yeah, what the fuss was a moment for me. So I agree with that. So let's talk a little bit about legacy and influence. So I want to ask you guys about their albums. So specifically, which Invoke album do you think has the most significant impact on their legacy and why? Um, it's probably maybe between Born to Sing and Funky Divas, but curious what you all think. Well, I think obviously for me, it's Funky, I mean, Funky Divas. I think if you were, to, if you were just around when that era happened and how like huge they were, I think that is the defining in vogue album. I agree. It, de- it definitely is Funky Divas just because I feel like, um, but besides Hold On being like their very first single, um, but I feel like most, they're most known worldwide for all of their songs from Funky, from Funky Divas. Like when people think of Invoke, they're always thinking, never gonna get it, never gonna get it. It's always that, you know what I mean? Um, I feel like that, that definitely is like they're defining free your, free your mind. You know, which we always say if, if it came out today, that video, it would still feel relevant. Um, so Funky Divas was definitely like a defining moment for them, especially because it like, uh, explored different genres as well. Um, yeah, that's when they, that's when they became, uh, a dope girl group to an iconic group. Yeah, I concur. Um, so with me, I actually kind of have two answers. Um, if we're talking impact as far as in a good way, obviously Funky Divas, because it put, it put them on the map. Um, it kind of set, you know, everything rolling and really, you know, showed the world who they were as artists. However, I think for me, really, it was EV3 because it showed for the first time En Vogue as a trio. And with, in, in Dawn's absence, you know, there was certain, there was a certain part of the sound that wasn't there anymore. And it kind of unfortunately led to the downfall of the group, in my opinion. That's valid. Yeah. I, I think I agree with what everybody said. It's definitely like they came out the gate swinging on Born to Sing. Like it wasn't like a slow burn. Like it, they came out big, but it really is Funky Divas that kind of like substantiated and solidified like, oh, they're like not to be effed with. Right. But then, yeah, like uh, the Im- impact on legacy, like you said, can go both ways. So like, what's the thing that kind of like hit them the hardest legacy wise it probably was when people start saw for that first time (laughs) in the ev3 era that dawn wasn't there and that sort of rattled things and i do imagine like what is the what would the legacy have how would the legacy have shaped different been shaped differently had that ev3 air had that ev3 era actually been a dawn filled ev3 era like it could have changed everything you know or not even that you know had rona been brought in way back when in 97 instead of 03 into the group where they still could have continued on as a foursome you know they just would have had a different member obviously um so it wasn't even just about don leaving i think it was 
like I said, also a part of their sound that was missing. Um, you know, part of the equation. It was, you know, almost like it's unfinished. That is a good point. I wonder, I don't I don't think we ever really talked about it. Well, we did talk about it for a second, but I do wonder, do they regret, like, not bringing in a fourth member immediately? You know what I mean? Like, I wonder, do they, do they wish that if they had just added a fourth member right when Don left, had that maybe changed the trajectory of the group? Because even just getting the press of, oh, you replaced her. There's a new member. I mean, that adds a certain level of buzz and interest and, you know, media frenzy within itself, you know, which can help push records and, you know, all that. Right. But then there's the other piece of even when they first became a group, you know, they were supposed to be a trio anyway. But the producers, you know, heard Terry's voice, of course, and they decided to add her. But in my opinion, you know, had they started out as a trio, Personally, I would have had, you know, Don not be in the group, and I'll elaborate on it. Um, obviously, we've seen throughout the years, um, whether it's on TV shows and social media, whatever, you know, she's pretty much said in her own way that, you know, yeah, she enjoyed being in the group to an extent, but she also wanted to do her own thing. And I've, I've been thinking about this recently. I'm like, well, maybe Don is better. Maybe she was better off as a solo artist. Maybe that's what she should have been from the jump. Mm. You know, because look at look at her track record. She she's been in and out of En Vogue. She's been in and out, or she left Lucy Pearl. Even on the R and B divas, you know, there was yeah, a snap, there was a snafu with that. I still remember <laughs> that one scene when her and Little Mo almost got to scrapping. <laughs> yeah, yes. you know when Don was like, "Where's your god at?" Where's your God at? And Mo was like, my God's right here. He don't quit. And you you trying to be loyal to Kelly, Kelly Price and this and that. Yeah. So she's she's done this to herself. I love Don. Don is a Sagittarius just like me. I love her. That's my girl. But I have to, you know, hold her to task. And that's what it is. Agreed. I, drag her, Romello. I, I agree with you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But it's true. I, perhaps because we, we talked about that. Um, in in a in a previous episode when um we were talking about like how Tom and Denny were like they were faced with having to choose between Don or Terry. And it's like, well maybe you know, and, and there are people there are there are men and women artists who uh come up in groups and then they springboard into solo solo fame. So perhaps that was like, you know, that was probably she was meant to be a, a solo artist, essentially. Um, so and I also it also made me think about the era when Don't Let Go came out like that. A, a lot of the girl groups were very fashioned for like a lead singer in like the doo-wop pops. You know what I mean? And so because Don't Let Go was like they're like it really it really springboarded them into like worldwide mainstream and everybody was so fixated on like oh Dawn was leading that song. She was like the lead singer. So it's like, oh well the lead singer left so maybe we don't you know what I mean? Cause people think like that. People are wild like that, you know. Last episode when I had submitted my letter that's why I, or no, the one before that, when you guys talked about Terry and you guys read my letter and I said that Dawn carried En Vogue, that is why I said that because yes, all of them have unique voices. You know, they all stand out on their own in different ways. But I, in my opinion, I think Dawn's kind of projected more. And, you know, if you were to kind of 
reduce En Vogue to one singer, to one person who kind of stood out both vocally and um, aesthetically, I, in my opinion, it would be Dawn. You know, she kind of gave that edge. She served a lot of the sex appeal um, that the group acquired. Yeah, I think uh, I, if, JP. Do you? I assume you agree, JP. I mean, <laughs> when when he's right, he's right. I don't know what else. <laughs> you were about to say something, Josh. Oh no, I think like Don. I think it's more or less correct. Like she, uh, she's like the the catch twenty two. She's like it's she is the gem i think inside of the group and i think she's also the group's biggest challenge <laughs> so like it's kind of weird but i mean we we talked about this before that you know a lot of the girls before in vogue were working on solo things dawn namely being one who had you know we saw this sort of mystery album that she doesn't claim come out um that you know says very much that that's the space she was in right was i'm gonna be a solo artist and so it's a lot to go and sacrifice the amount of like sort of space you're allowed to have when you go into a group and so we kind of should have known from jump but we didn't know those details back then we just assumed you know oh everybody's down to be in a group everybody's like 100 percent in this this is sort of the only that this is the only end goal but um for sure, Dawn is the one. If any of them were going to be solo artists, Dawn was the one who had the package. So, I think it was when the group was on the Wendy Williams show, like back in 2018, and Terry had told Wendy, you know, while while we're still a group and while we still operate as such, we're each individual. Each individuals, we each have our own aspirations, and if we want to leave to go pursue those aspirations, we should do so gracefully. Um, we can even look at Destiny's Child. You know, um, they started off as a foursome and then continued on as a foursome when Latav and Latoya were replaced with uh, Michelle and Farah. And then they became a trio and then they each branched out, did their own thing. And then they came back in the mid 2000s for their final album and then finally went their separate ways. And me personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, you know, people are going to want to do their own thing. And I think it's sometimes good to have time apart. And I remember, uh, I think it was either Michelle or Kelly, they had said that on the Oprah show when they came back, I think it was in 2004, one of them had said that um, it was good that they were apart because they got to grow and they got to find themselves and they got to um, learn more about the music industry and just learn, you know, really, really take a deep dive into that whole artist development. So I thought that was very um, interesting. And is this my, I mean, we, we don't, I don't love Matthew Knowles, but we got to give Matthew Knowles credit because he set them ladies up for success because that was a thoughtful process, right? Like he brought all of them into solo deals and that in between so that they could each prosper in their own lanes. Like that's the difference I think. Because I don't like how he did Kelly Rowland. I mean, I mean, like there's specifics, (laughs) there's specifics, I think there that like we could, we could certainly argue, but like he, like the thoughtfulness and like that kind of rollout is like, was so genius because they planned that sort of pause and they had, they were set up for the individual sort of ventures 
And there was probably always this idea that they would go prosper, hopefully in some way solo and come back and be a stronger, bigger, whatever for the final sort of album. And it just, I think there's credit to be given because you, it's very obvious that Invoke didn't have that plan in place should one person leave, right? They were like, well, we've only known a group, so we're going to stay in this group and do whatever. It could have been really interesting when, you know, the chaos around Dawn leaving actually just was like, well, maybe we should just do a year of nothing or we go do our own thing for a year and come back. Maybe Dawn will have spread her wings, figured out what she want to do and come back or whatever it is. And then we can maybe be a little bit stronger together. But they just sort of pushed through and barreled through because probably finances, business, whatever, you know, you got a damn near finished album. You got to go ahead and like figure out how to get it out into the world. But there's a lot I think that we that folks could there's a lot more success that could have been had if folks had been more thoughtful in that sort of process. This discussion, it does bring me like a, it does bring a light bulb in my head to where it's like, you know, there are some members who I feel like when it comes to, to a group, I feel like there are some members who can like leave or be fired or et cetera and it not really affect the group's trajectory. But then there are some groups, um, some members and groups where it's like, when they leave, you feel it. I feel like Dawn is one of the, I feel like, I feel like when Ginger Spice left the Spice Girls, um, it, it was, it was a thing, but they still continued on and, and, and their album after that is like one of my faves. Uh, but I feel like, but if Sporty Spice left the group, <laughs> that would be a different story. Or, or, or now that they, they've done that worldwide tour and Posh not being there, it, it, you can kind of notice because Ginger isn't the best dance. You know what I mean? So you kind of notice, like, yeah, you know, even with like, with like Fifth Harmony, um, I feel like if Normani left the group and Camilla was so in and it was just the four girls, it would make a difference because Normani has a presence about her, you know, but I feel like when, Cam- when Camilla left, um, although she's very successful, but like they were still able to kind of have a presence as a force and because her being there or not, it, it wasn't, it, it did mess up the formula. So like Don not being there and, and just to kind of segue, you know, uh, we do know that Invoke has had, their share of controversies <laughs> and member changes over the years. Um, how have those events impacted the group's legacy, if at all, and the legacy of those members who have come and gone since we're kind of on the topic? I think it's unfortunate, though. I think their le- their legacy, I've, I've said this before, but I think because the reason in Vogue isn't in the conversation of receiving some of those you know, Lifetime Achievement Awards and all of that is because they're not the originals. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think I think because they're not together, they're missing out on some of the some of the flowers that groups like SWV and Escape are getting right now. You know, so it, it definitely negatively contributes to their, their legacy because... Literally. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like SWV got another like I think Black Music Honors gave them like a lifetime yeah. achievement award last night or something. Like them girls oh, yeah, was, and Latoya were there. Those those women argued it out on television and they are like, We're still gonna stay together, okay? Like, <laughs> like it just makes sense. It's it's like the money, like okay, yeah, yes, they, they get a bag as the three of them, but I think the levels uh that they can reach as the originals is just just based on the nostalgia and the you know, just what they did for women, like they should be, you know, in those spaces right now. And, you know, these organizations are not going to 
award a group without you know all the members because it's just it's like well we don't even know this girl for real <laughs> Well, no, sh- no shades of Rona, but it's like, yeah, you've been here, girl, but you you're not who we know. And I mean, it's valid. Hikes. That's you valid. know what I'm saying. Like, you're not on the hits. You know, that's just kind of what it is. It matters when Rona came in. Like, if Rona had come in like way earlier, but you know, Rona's got a number of years like junior to these ladies. So, like, but when when iconic groups do switch out members, like. Destiny's Child, for instance, like, but they're in the that peak of success. It's different right. than yeah. when you've sort right. of had your flop album, quote unquote, and then you're regrouping to try to figure out how to keep something that's already off the rails uh, from going further off the rails. And so, yeah, I feel bad in that regard because I think that if if the tables had been turned, if things were different, and they the the trio just was you know, Terry, Cindy, Max, and they carried on that way, then I think we would see, even in the absence of Dawn, we would see the accolades that are happening now for a lot of other groups. So I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a necessity that it's all four. I think it's the fact that of the three, so we're already down one, two are the original, and that's where people start to, like, literally, I don't know why people, every comment section of everything, there's always one person in there like, where's Don and Maxine? Where's Don and Maxine? And I had to stop replying, because sometimes I used to get Twitter fingers, I used to reply and be like, Rona's been in the group for more than a decade. (laughs) It doesn't matter, that's a fight I can't fight. It's like, girl, you're you're 15 years too late, girl. Right. (laughs) Because it's funny you mentioned that because I was um, listening to 3LW the other day. and um, Oh, yeah, that's one group. Yeah, just hearing about like how when Notori left and then Jessica was brought in and they had that whole like I think it was from 03 to like 07. They were working on that whole shelved album, which never came out. I think it was called uh, Phoenix Rising or Point of No Return or something. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. even... um, even in her absence i mean they still got to do things they still got to show up at award shows and do little um endorsements and performances and stuff um but there was a noticeable difference and and i say that to say within vogue you know yes they've had different lineup changes and unfortunately that has impacted their legacy um when people see in vogue they see cindy terry maxine and dawn um, and I remember Don in one of those several uh, YouTube interviews, Instagram interviews she did, you know, when she was talking about Rona, um, she had mentioned, which a lot of the fans are thinking this, I can tell, but she had mentioned that how with Rona, when she came into the group, it's not like how she was like Michelle of Destiny's Child, where she came in and she brought them hits and she contrib- contributed, you know, her own, you know, unique style and really elevated the group to stardom. Rona contributed, and, and I agree with Tom with, on this, she contributed, but she didn't really make the group better. She kind of kept it constant. And yeah, they've had albums and, albums and everything and done shows and they do all these projects and cameos and endorsements or whatever. But, and even Don said it, you know, when her and Maxine are there, they have number ones. With Rona there, they have number 11s as the case was with Rocket. Gone! I'm just saying. I'm, I'm, I see both sides. And I'll agree with Dom with, you know, when she's right. Um, Rona, she's not like Michelle in which she brought the group hit. She's 
She's contributed in well, her own way. Michelle bought Destiny's Child hits either. Now she just Michelle didn't really bring them hits. She just happened to be on. <laughs> she got on the train at the right time. <laughs> right. It's 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 like about um like you I, y'all remember when um uh invoke not invoke but when Destiny's Child was being honored. And, and Tierra Marie and A Marie and Rihanna, you know, did that little, you know, yeah. So it's like, so they were honoring Destiny's child and their legacy, essentially. But the reason why uh, Michelle could stand there, it, you know, with those three and not the original other two, Little Latoya, is because she came in at the tail end of Riders on the Wall. She was on the same, my name, Bugaboo, Jumba Jumpin'. I mean, not Bugaboo, but the Jumba Jumpin' and Same My Name video. She was on Survivor. She had a verse, you know, on Survivor. You know, she was there for Lose My Breath. So, like, so when, when, when Desi's child was like, making that curve into mainstream worldwide fame from just being like a R&B black girl group. She was there. So she was a part of that like shift in legacy. But like, I, I understand that point where it's like, yeah, Rona, she, she came into the group to kind of fill a space, you know, so they can tour, they can have people harmonies, you know, da, 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 because, you know, in the Invoke legacy isn't about a duo, you know, that, that, that would pretty much be, uh, there, there, there is, you can't do Invoke with a duo. You just can't. That's not, that's not the aesthetic. So she came in to fill a, fill a place as amazing. Cause I stand running a lot. I think she's a freaking amazing, but, but it's true. Like she filled, she filled a void because they needed a three-part harmony they needed a third member to kind of do the doo-wop pops or whatever um so that is a valid that's a valid it's a valid statement and and yet they because of the original four you know i i i do agree with jp you know that there are some things being missed out on because it's not the original lineup unfortunately Mm -hmm. but i will say this though two things actually um, as far as Envil being a duo, we've only seen that once, and that was in 2003 when they recorded that song, that cover of um, that BG song, um, How Deep Is Your Love, when Amanda yeah. left. And I think somebody had said that when the Envil uh, craze, when the group, the Yahoo group was still around, somebody had asked, um, I guess it was Amanda Cole's husband at the time, like if Envil would continue on as a duo, and he said that that was originally the plan, but I guess they just decided to just keep on with the, you know, three member formula. But as far as Rona goes, and I've maintained this and I've said this, if God forbid, if En Vogue was to be reduced to a solo act, so not a quartet, not a trio, not a duo, or not even a quintet, but one person, Rona, in my opinion, can cover all of the, all the girls' parts. That's how, in my opinion, her voice is very multidimensional and versatile. And to that, I say not bad for replacement, huh? That's true. Period. That's true. <laughs> and to be fair, Period. to be fair, I think like, I think these are like, these arguments are great. I also wonder and if there's a universe where Rona did come in and wanted to do things, but was vetoed by the legacy members. So like, I just, I imagine that given Rona's extensive sort of solo stuff, like the things that she's sort of done in her career, that she's not someone who doesn't, who sits and sort of just does what is told. Like, I imagine that she has ideas and she, you know, I mean, look at Soulflower, like the sort of, 
they, they grabbed a lot of her stuff, right? <laughs> and so right. um, I wonder if, you know, in the dynamics of being a replacement versus an OG, like in the dynamics of like pay scales and pay structures and power structures, if Rona did have all of that or has had all of that and we're just not aware of it and it just didn't happen or come to fruition because maybe there's like a there's like a, a priority given to those who are OGs so that they get to drive the ship. They get to dictate what the sort of vision is of the group. And she's might have just sort of settled since then and like uh, that kind of like, OK, I'll just do what you need me to do. The check clears either way. <laughs> right. I think that's why Dawn, you know, has said that she didn't want to return because she felt as though Terry and, Terry and Cindy, it's kind of like they're aware of the highway. Um, but by the same token, the same can be said about Dawn because it's like, okay, yes, Rona wasn't there from the beginning. That's been established. But she's helped, you know, keep the group alive in a way, along with Terry, with Terry being the consistent member, of course. Um, those two, in my opinion, have carried the group in that way. And, you know, to have to have Dawn say, well, uh, Rona shouldn't be around. Um, she's not one of us. And, you know, that kind of thing. I think that's very unfortunate. And I think it's sad that both her and Maxine to this day. And it's funny with Maxine because Maxine was there when it was, you know, them, you know, with them as a foursome, EV 2.0. Um, you know, she didn't have a problem with Rona then, but it's like now you're piggyback, you're siding with Dawn basically and saying, well, you know, Rona shouldn't be here. She's not one of us. You know, nobody knows her, you know, and it's, it's sad that they won't ever accept her as a member, unfortunately. I got to say, though, I got to say that if there was a, a change in history and Invoke ended after EV3, like period, like it just ended, that they still wouldn't be getting the same accolades. And like, that's why that's the value I think Rona brings is that regardless of like hits or whatever, Invoke has stayed a touring act. Invoke still books to somebody's stage and is still, you know, performing for some version of the fandom and new folks who might be there to see another act or something like that. So like those things matter because an SWV wouldn't be where they are getting the accolades. They are escape or whatever. If they had just tapped out completely, like you have to still be doing something. And Rona has allowed them to still be doing something, you know? I agree. So have any artists recorded a cover version of an Invogue song? Yes. Um, so there is a techno trance artist. I don't even think she's still around. Her name is Nicole Mira. And back in 2004, she recorded like a breakbeat dance version of Don't Let Go. That's the only thing I know about. Oh, period. Oh, I want to go. Because I couldn't, I couldn't think of any covers either, which is, which is interesting because I feel like you know, you have a lot of new groups coming out. Like, there's even, like, a um, this new girl group. I think that Candy maybe started or found it called Siren. I think they're sisters. But they've been doing, like, some a lot of covers, um, you know, going viral. Um, and I'm like, oh, I, I can hear them singing, like, an Invoke song because they have those ranges. <clears throat> but it's interesting that nobody has really covered Invoke songs a lot. Uh, but I well, was a cover that, of Don't uh, Let Go that I love. It is by Greg Gold, uh, Gould and Maxine Jones. I think that's really a beautiful um, cover. 
What genre does he sing? I don't know that man. I just know he got him and Maxine oh. are singing the song. <laughs> <laughs> it is a um, he's from the UK somewhere, oh. but it's a nice um, like piano version of "Don't Let Go." I'm gonna look, I'm gonna look it up. He's from Australia, I think, not the UK. Okay, I'm gonna look it up. All right, folks. Well, let's switch gears and dive into another interesting topic, the in vogue fan culture. So let's take a few moments to appreciate the fan culture surrounding in vogue. I mean, we wouldn't even be here talking about this amazing group if it weren't for the fans who have supported them throughout the years. This podcast is a testament to the love that us fans have for the group. So let's go a little deeper into fan culture and discuss how it has evolved over the years and what it means to be an in vogue fan today. So the influence of En Vogue uh, on fan culture, you know, En Vogue has had a significant impact on the fan culture, inspiring countless fans to become singers, dancers, and performers themselves. Their music has also served as a source of empowerment for fans, particularly women and members of the LGBTQ plus community. So share some of your favorite En Vogue uh, fan stories or experiences with us, such as attending concerts, meeting members, any of that kind of stuff. Who wants to go first? You should go first, Romello. I wish I could say I had a good memory of En Vogue, like meeting them. I was supposed to go see them. I think it was either last year or 2021. They were in D.C. Um, I was supposed to go see them at one point, but um, I had to work that weekend, so I wasn't able to go. But other than that, um, I can't really think of, of anything. Um you know, I don't talk to any of the members on like Instagram or Twitter or anything. So that's that's it. Well, Maxine does follow me on Twitter. And <laughs> okay. And Don has blocked me on several sites. <laughs> as, we, I mean, as we always reference. She has, as we always she reference. has been blocking me since MySpace. I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, I've never actually met the ladies in real life. I've seen them. I went to their concert at they were at Bush Gardens or something a year before last, and that was cute. Um, yeah, I haven't had the privilege of meeting them yet. Um, and so that would be really fun. Actually, I wonder if like I always wonder if they listen or if somebody listens or you know tells them. All that we're right. talking about. Yeah, like, you know, what we're saying about them, all the, all the paintedness and all the accolades. Because I remember Matan was saying, Matan met them uh, at the, I guess it was mixtape tour, um, meet and greet. And so I think I remember, Mat- I think I remember Matan saying that he asked if they, or, or identified at himself as like someone who was with the the podcast. And so I think Rona maybe obviously cause she's interviewed with us is aware of who we are, but um, I do think it's like kind of cool that there's like a, there can be those relationships sometimes with fans and, and artists. So uh, that's like a, I think now more than ever, obviously social media people like new artists, like their entire fan bases are built on interactions that they have. And like, they they be having whole conversations with people in the DMs, and so like that myste- mysterious or that sort of mystique or intrigue is kind of gone these days. And so, um, so yeah, I want my invoke story where I met them, but I I don't know. Pa- Meet and greets are so 
like fast paced and so i feel like you don't really have like a lot of like time to talk so i would love to like actually run into like somebody somewhere and be like i got a couple questions for you like while we waiting in line at the at the (laughs) the, you know pizza place or something i don't know okay (laughs) bars and over or something like that or target like you know something like that um I well, I have I have two stories um, that I kind of reference on this podcast in season one. So for those of you who are new listening, this may be new to you. But one, um, Cindy uh, went to high school with my mom and uncle, um, and she dated my uncle for a time. Um, but they were teenagers. It was like very very long ago. Uh, and my mom did not like Cindy What's at all. And I assume it's because she was. Wait a minute, Cindy, Cindy I, is single I, now. So, I, well, well, of Well, my, my my uncle did pass away, so oh, she ain't got no. no way to get. I, she she can't come to my. She can't come to become my auntie anymore. <laughs> Only in my dreams. But uh, but yeah, my mom did not like her, and I assume it's probably because Cindy was a pageant girl. She's like light skinned But I was told, but my mom is light skinned too, and I'm like, mom, not you treating Cindy the way you got treated as light skin girl in, in uh, Cali too. <laughs> anyway, but anyways, so that that's one story. Um, so, Cindy, so Cindy could have been my auntie. <laughs> and then the second is um, I did meet Rona. Um, there is a, a, a vegan uh, spot across the street from the film school I went to in Hollywood. And she was there. She was just, she was there drinking, eating, and she was writing her notebook. And I noticed her. Um, this was around... Um, 2012, uh, 20, 2011, 2012. So yeah, she was sitting down and I noticed her and I was like, should I speak? I was like, I don't want to mess. I don't want to bother her. But I did. I, I was like, excuse me. Are you, are you running bed? And she's like, yeah, yeah. So I was like, I'm just like, I'm a, such a fan of you. Like you are so awesome. And you know, and she was very, very welcoming and she said, hi, ask my name. Um, so she, she's a very sweet, sweet, sweet woman. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, I live in LA, so you see celebrities a lot sometimes. Um, so I try not to bother them in like, you know, regular places because they, they just want to be regular people. So I try not to bother them, but I was like, it's no one in here. I was like, who knows when I'll see her again? So I have to just say hi. So yeah, she was sweet. So those are my two like little stories about In Vogue. I do want to meet, you know, I do want to see them perform live once. Um, and I do wish I could meet Cindy and Terry as well as Maxine and Dawn one day as well. So, so, so if you ever meet Cindy, are you going to tell her like, girl, you used to date my uncle? You should. I about that. You should. I, well, I thought I thought about that, but I don't know if it'll be in poor taste. I, I mean, you know, because well, you know, now that she's divorced, but I was like, well, at the time, I was like, she's a married woman, so why would I want to reference uh, a guy she dated like when she was a teenager when she's a married woman? Wrong with that. Now that she's like, single, you, you know, my <clears throat> uncle Willie. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought about that, to, uh, and maybe, or maybe she'll like. Uh, it'll it'll trigger a memory in her as well, like being from her childhood in the neighborhood and like whoever else, um, you know, because they they all knew each other. Like my 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 father went to church with Tony 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 and all them. So I'm like, so I feel like they're they're all like in like they're adjacent to each other in some kind of way. So I feel like maybe I will. Maybe she maybe she remember my uncle. Maybe she won't. Maybe she won't. Who knows? She might be like that will. was the love of my life. <laughs> or she or she might be like, oh yeah, your mama, uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> Something like that. Um, but maybe I will, who knows? I, I totally get that. I was gonna say, Champ, um, as you know, not just within Vogue, but I know for me personally, because I work at the airport, 
Um, I've met a couple of celebrities and, you know, I understand where it's like you admire them, but you have to admire them from afar because you want, you, you know, you want to be nice. And like I've met uh, Queen Latifah. Um, I've met Dog the Bounty Hunter. Uh, oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lunel, the comedian. And then my my husband, he went to high school with Missy Elliott or middle school, excuse me. So, yes. That's good. Cool. That's cool. That's actually a cool story. Cause, cause you know, so you, you, sometimes you might meet a celebrity on the wrong day and you know, and it is probably not, it's not necessarily them, but their team might, you know, want to avenge their mood and, and get you fired and get you, you know, and, you know what I mean? The people, people are vindictive like that for no, for, for whatever reason. So I try to stay away because you never know, like, especially at the airport, people be like tired and whatever have you. So I get it, you know, but sometimes I'm like, no, I'm speaking. If I see, if I see Beyonce, I'm, well, no, no, no. I have seen Beyonce and I didn't speak because it wasn't appropriate. <laughs> so it just, it just depends. It just depends. Where were on, you on you saw Beyonce and it was not appropriate? At church? That is always appropriate. You're in the house of the Lord. You're supposed to, I mean, they, they, during, have, they during, have a section during the ceremony. Don't they have a section where you meet and greet? Like, um, yes, they do. Shake hands. But it was during, everybody, it was during, everybody went to Beyonce during that. Well, so, well, so, the, so one, she, her, her and Jay-Z, well, the church I used to go to, her mom and, and uh, her husband, Richard, like they, they were actual members. So she came every Sunday or whatever. But, uh, but it was one Sunday where like, Beyonce and Jay Z, like they they snuck in during worship, like in like a uh uh the 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 side entrance. So like you don't even notice them walking in because you're just focused on like the singing and whatever have you, and the lights are dim or whatever. And so it wasn't until like the pastor was preaching and you look over and you're like. Is that Beyonce? And then we're all like in our group chat because I sang on the worship team, so I'm like we're in our talking about. I think that's Beyonce to the left, and, the, and we're all like, "That's Beyonce to the left." So you, so there's no chance to like really s- to speak to her. And then of course during um, the benediction or whatever you want to call it, then she sneaks out. So like there's no time to like. And, but then one guy who worked at the church, he did run around the building to catch her. It get in the car to get a picture with her. <laughs> you know, he got so a picture? Like, that is, he did get a picture. He got I a picture. I would have been, been in the pews waving like, hey girl. <laughs> I would have got up. I would have, I would have took, you, you were in the choir, I took my robe off and I would have went and sat as close to her as possible. Right. Okay. We're not singing but today. Just, yeah. <laughs> but it's just, it, was, it wasn't the culture of my church because like we had a lot of celebrities out that mm. frequented, you know, the, the church, but it was comfortable because like we didn't like, you know, bombard them with fandom. You know, like Chadwick Boseman was a member with his wife, Simone. Jill Scott came. Common came. Every, you know, so so you, they, they come because they're comfortable because like they're not being treated like a celebrity. We just kind of like say hello and bye, that kind of thing. Lisa Ray was, you know, was a member. Diddy came sometimes. So, you know, but but it, I feel like when it comes to In Vogue, to kind of bring the topic back to them. When it comes to In Vogue, I feel like I wouldn't feel weird speaking to them in public just because um, I feel like they, they're, they're in this, 
time and climate, they're not like super famous. Like you, you there are celebrities that you can recognize and just be like, oh my God, how are you? So, I love you. Versus like, if you see, uh, you know, a, 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 a Taylor Swift, you know, there's no way you can get to her because she's not alone. She has bodyguards, you know, but I feel like I can see Cindy at freaking uh, Best Buy or Target or like at the Apple store and be like, hey, Cindy, I'm a, I'm a big fan of you. Hey girl, how you doing? You know, so essentially. Uh, but so that being said, you know, like with social media, um, the advent of social media, at least platforms like Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, fans have some, have, fans have more direct access to their favorite artists or maybe not. In JP's, in JP's, uh, situation. <laughs> Fans have more direct access to their favorite artists than ever before. What are the pros and cons to having such access to their favorite celebrities? The, the pros, obviously, all celebrities, if no one knows this, all celebrities have a, have a marketing management social media team and they have, they get query alerts. Whenever their name or or anything associated with their brand is mentioned, so if you think that they're not seeing your stuff, they're seeing your stuff. Um, probably why I rejuvenate black me on Twitter, but that's another story. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, but so they're seeing your stuff. So I feel like one of the pros is like being able to um, have have some form of like direct influence on how they see the fandom, if they see your comments, even like with like movies, like uh, uh, I think what Rosario Dawson, the reason why she's a part of Star Wars is because she was fan casted on Twitter. And that's the reason why the people at Disney were like, well, let's, let's interview her. Let's get her in this, right. in, in the, uh, in a, in a uh, audition or whatever. You know, where even like how Beyonce, how she has the Cuff It remix um, based off of a TikToker. You know what I mean? Like those things or now that her or that her choreography on Cuff It includes the TikTok dance that those two girls made up. So I feel like it has an influence. They see it, but also the cons is that they see it, <laughs> you right. know? So, you, you know, they, they're seeing all the negative, you know, and they they might respond in kind by blocking you or by responding to you or you know um, recollecting who you are and not speaking to you if you come with, you know like it's, there, there are pros and cons that you know I feel like I feel like it can be it can be a pro and a con them seeing all this engagement and, and you directly di- talking to them directly on social media I agree um, I mean it, and I kind of say the same thing I think one of the main pros is that they are more accessible celebrities that is um, you're able to really have more of a direct connection as far as communication goes. But on the flip side, the negative would be that the celebrity themselves are subject to constant trolling and constant scrutiny um, for any and everything. I kind of like, I'm, I miss when my celebrities felt like untouchable, like and unreachable. And like, mm-hmm. that's sort of like, you wanted them to feel like you would, you like there's just a heightened sort of like intrigue when you don't know someone's life you don't know what they had for breakfast you don't know that they on vacation you don't the things that like social media tell us all the time like 
we don't know what the what's happening backstage because we don't see the behind the scenes stuff until they put it out for us intentionally like that kind of stuff created a level of like intrigue and mystique that i just really miss about what it was to be like a star and so mm-hmm. now on the flip though it is really cool to be able to like type in the comments and be like y'all look great and hopefully that hopefully that like kind of affirms and says this is what we want to see like you know so we can be much more interactive um but the downside of that like Romella mentioned is like you got to scroll past a lot of like shady comments and hate and mess and I don't know. It just seemed like that would be a mental, those would be some mental gymnastics that I couldn't, if I was a celebrity deal with. Like, I feel like if I was a celebrity, I probably wouldn't have social media because on one hand, the love is great, but I just can't imagine having to constantly be at the source of critique, uh, like all the time, like for everything, like not even just the music, but like how I look, how I sound, how I walk, how I sing, how I, all the things. That's a lot. And because, and, and people are, people are idiots. People are, and people enjoy being idiots online. And, and sometimes they, they want to say the most salacious, um, um, trolling things to get you to respond or get a rise out of you just for the simple fact that they can say like, Oh, I made so and so mad. And they, and half the thing that they're saying, they don't even mean or believe. They just want to troll you to get you out to, to mess up your mood. So that's a con. I also think another con. Well, no, I have another con, but Jay, I want to hear what JB has to say before I, before I uh, ramble again. <laughs> I like Mystique. I miss the days where you didn't really know a lot about your favorite artists and they had Mystique. Um, you know, it was like, it made them larger than life. I think seeing celebrities being very regular and average and, and a hot mess and hearing their takes on certain topics that make them sound stupid or that make them sound problematic. It's just unattractive. Um, and I think people should really take kind of the Beyonce approach to social media, <laughs> which is say nothing but post cute pictures. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's it. Same with Janet. Janet does the same thing. Like she'll 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 say something, you know, uh, now, very encouraging or have gratitude, but she'll post a cute pic or like you know, like she she's I love very, Janet down, but I don't want her I'm I don't like when she gets on social media looking regular. I just thought I don't <laughs> Girl. Well, that's the flip, right? I don't it's like, like it. I don't want you getting on social media with your with your reading glasses on, like, like Janet Jackson. No, if if it's not giving like performance ready, I don't want to see it from Janet Jackson because like she's one of those ones that I just hold with such high esteem that I don't want to know that she's made breakfast. Like right. I don't like. Yeah. It's just it it ruins it for me. Plus, I think it's so funny because. I don't actually think Janet Jackson does any of her social media. Like, I think somebody is doing that for her because she be posting these, like, I think she does post a little inspirational grandmama quotes uh, on Instagram. Like, that might be her. But some of these other things, I think there's a team at play because Janet Jackson, she constantly reposts stuff to her Instagram story of like people dancing or people like and I'm like she ain't doing that like Janet Jackson is not bothered <laughs> she, she's not she not she 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 with her son I, but the, I feel like that could those are also cons too I feel like the mysticism of celebrity no longer exists because of social media you know and and I'm I'm like 
I I'm a fan of you because of you're essentially like a superhero, you know, like Madonna, Prince, Beyonce, Michael Jackson, you know, uh, Lady Gaga, you know, David Bowie, you know, like, like, like y'all, they're like superheroes to us in a way musically. Um, and so I, I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to hear your politics because some, some people are idiots as well. Like you're probably amazing singer, dancer, whatever have you, but you're probably a sucky human being. <laughs> and I don't want to, and I don't want to know that unless I need to, unless I'm like a biopic and I'll find out that you're like an Ike Turner. Like that, that, those things are like, you know, it's fine, but I'm like, you know, you need get stop responding. Stop the clapback isn't your thing. You know, stop being petty, like all that kind of stuff. It's like don't engage, like like stay on a higher frequency because of your status. And I also think another con is um, what was I going to say that some people and I would say in vogue as well just don't know how to use social media. Like I, you know, I feel like. At some point, you have to use it to your advantage, and I don't think that in Vogue uses it well. Like, I, it was even, they posted something. <laughs> this is probably so stupid, but it bothered, it bothered me. I was like, what the heck is this? But they had posted on their story, they were on our way to, uh, they were in their black and leopard print out, uh, stage office. They were on their way to, like, they were in a, they were in a car on their way to, um, some somewhere and i guess the person who managed the social media was like hey guys smile do a kissy face to the camera and like one by one the girls like blew a kiss to the camera and i was like that is so corny like who who is doing who well it, it's a when you see how like people like candy burris is using their social media and i'm like you're just putting you're just recording recording pressing record on your insta story and have them blow a kiss to the camera i'm like girl you need to get off you know i was like no you know what i mean i'm like so i'm like i, I want a con is like using social media to your advantage so i feel like in vogue like what are y'all what are y'all known for what have y'all what what is your legacy so like you need to curate content that deals with that you know i i, I we talked about that i think i'm like in season two where we're like and Vogue needs to do like a have like a month where they just they just film social media content where it's high def. They have a they have a, a glam team. They have outfits and they just do stuff like I you know Der- uh, Derek Blanks. Although his his I think J, me and JP mentioned it like his ultra ego photo shoots from back in the day are oh, horrendous. Boy, so <laughs> but but right now. The, the content he makes for all these influencers and female celebrities, like with all the fashion photos and like even with Candy and, and the girls from Love and Hip Hop. I think he did, uh, I think he did one with, 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 Est- with Latoya Lug- Like, you know what I mean? Either way, I'm like, in Vogue needs to be doing that type of content, you know? So a con definitely is, you know, not using it to your advantage in this new age and that and that could play a part in them having a new legacy that rona is a part of because now you're going viral as a threesome as a trio in these new ways you know and then that could uh that could uh ricochet into you know people using your songs and tiktoks and it going viral and, and being shared 20 million times and now your song is like remixed this way and da 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 you know there, there, there's like a, there's like a, a cause and effect and I feel like they're not utilizing it in that way but yeah so 
Yeah, I, I agree with everything right. that the three of you are saying, um, especially, you know, with the part about um, basically with celebrities not being a novelty anymore. There's that chase isn't there where it's like, you know, compared to like 10, 15 years ago, you see a celebrity on TV or you hear him on an interview or, you know, whatever the case is. And it's like, damn, I wish I could meet them. I wish I could talk to them. And it's like now, you know, while it is more accessible with social media to contact them, it's like the fun is taken out of it. And then, you know, with the girls more specifically, especially with Cindy and Terry, I mean, let's call it for what it is. They're like 60. Um, so if they aren't already, they're heading towards geriatric. Um so, uh, <laughs> oh my I'm God. I'm just, oh, let's, oh, come on. Let's call it for what it is. Geriatric um, granny. It's giving geriatric. Anyway, um, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, and I have noticed that they aren't good with social media. They've gotten a little bit better, but I think I mean, Cindy only- was not on social media until what, like a year ago? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know Rona's very active, especially with her being a life coach. Um, and, really you know, good. even, yeah, even Dawn, you know, um, she has done some stuff. Like I remember, I remember she used to do that one, uh, that one thing, what was it? Um, date with a diva or something like where she would like watch a movie and her fans on Instagram would like watch it with her. Like she used to do stuff like that. So, and then Maxine, she's gotten better as well. Uh, but, um, but yeah, you know, if they utilize social media more, a light bulb just went off. That would be a great thing for Dawn to do because there are people on YouTube who build a huge following with reacting to things, with giving their opinion on things. And Dawn, Dawn is so opinionated and, and great. She's been in this business for a long time. So she has insight. You know, so I'm, I, I would love to see like Don reacting to like music videos and artists' live performances, or like that. That well, would be she just can't she just can't react to inv- to stuff. Well, that stuff. was the Don't thing that. that I was actually. It's it's so wild that we're. I think we have the same idea, but different ways. Because I was like, I would actually love to see a reaction series from In Vogue looking back on their videos and then kind of like giving us facts and like trivia yeah. and like saying like. Ooh, I hate that. That didn't age well. Or I want to see, I want to see them consume their own stuff and even Rona react to things that she wasn't necessarily involved in. I think that might humanize it a little bit or make her a little bit more in the mix. But the reaction videos, like the one you posted the other day, the reaction videos are like a big deal now. Like people love watching people experience something for the first time or relive something or whatever it is. It's funny. It's just something else I thought of. Um, another a light bulb that went off in my head, not so much with social media, but more specifically with just giving back to the community, to the fandom. And I'm talking specifically with Rona and Dawn, you know, for two people or for one person who doesn't like the other, uh, for whatever reason, I've noticed with both of them, I think out of all the members, they have in their own way kind of given back to the community. I, I from what I've heard and read, Don, I think, used to do like community, um, like outreach stuff. And then obviously Rona does the, you know, um, life coach university. Um, and I would think those two would bond over that, honestly, now that I think about it. Cause I think both of them have an affinity to help others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like when, um, when, uh, 
Latoya Luckett and Michelle Williams like had had like their best friend era for a while. They're still friends, but like they were like best friends for like a where for like a time. And I was like, that's so interesting. Like how you become best friends with your replacement, you know? And it's uh, it says love there. So I feel like I feel like maybe Dawn and Rona have to cut have to connect in a different way because because Dawn will only see Rona as like a replacement. And you know what I mean. You know, I've maintained this. You know, if we want to compare En Vogue to Destiny's Child, you know, Rona is to Michelle, as John, I guess, would be to Latavia, so to speak. Ooh. So it is kind of like the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so Ooh, it's, like I said, it's sad that they can't connect. And it's sad that, you know, even when Maxine was there with Rona, you know, this, is, this was um, a, a performance member. You know, this was a recording member that you had. And to not acknowledge her, yeah. you know, is kind of bogus. Even like I remember, I think it was around the time, um, like 10 years ago, when they were doing the whole lawsuit thing. And Maxine did an interview where she referred to Cindy and Terry as skanks. And then she referred to Rona as that other girl or some chick. So she didn't even call her by her name. So, you know, it just goes yeah. to show you it's like, okay, in one breath, you know, there's like this camaraderie that you guys have, but when things don't pan out, it's like you call this person everything but a child of God and what have you. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Well, back in the day, fans used to rely on forums and fan communities to connect with others who share their love for their favorite artists uh, since social media wasn't a thing. Although those communities still exist, they have changed over time, bringing in more diverse perspectives and conversations. Uh, Ramella, were you a member of the Invoke craze when it was part of the Yahoo groups? Uh, No, I wish I was. (laughs) Like I said, I didn't find out about and Vogue period, really. I mean, I knew of them, you know, since I was a kid, but I didn't really get into it till like, I want to say like 10 years ago or almost 10 years ago. And I think mm-hmm. by that point, the Yahoo groups were pretty much extinct, so to speak. Yeah. All right, you guys, well, we're going to get into uh, our next segment, which is just a couple of rapid fire questions. Um, the first one is, should Dawn Robinson be welcomed back into En Vogue in spite of the negative things she said about the group? Yes, there is no group without her. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Next question is: Should Invo continue to record new music and release albums, or focus solely on performing their classic hits? Classics, because they're a nostalgia act at this point. Again, giving geriatric teas. <laughs> no. New music. new music. I want to hear new, new music. music. New music. New music. I want new music, but it has to be the right music. EPs right and singles that's... only. No full albums. No albums. EPs and singles. Use your spread um, your budget. <laughs> Is it important for Invoke to have all four original members present to be considered a true representation of yes. the group? No. 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 I say that because look at the cover girls. Look at Expose. They've had like what? Eight members each? But no one knows those girls though. <laughs> like people knew Invoke by name when they were out at their peak. The cover girls were never at that level where they were household names like that. Never, I'm, I'm changing my answer. It says because it says true representation. Then it's a it, then it's a yes. It's a yes for me. Yeah, if we're talking about true, true, obviously we have to be the original four. So yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I'm being fickle. <laughs> um, what is the one invoke song you would recommend to someone who's never heard of the group before? Don't let go. Don't let go. Ooh, that's a great. 
That's a great. Dang. Uh, Never going to get it. I'm going to say for your mind. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, I think I'll sit with that. Yeah. Can Invoke achieve success again? Why or why not? And what would it take? It's success looks different now. That's what I got. I'll just say success. Looked, like success at this point in a career is very different than success. in. yeah, success doesn't necessarily mean like uh, num- number one albums and like platinum. I mean, it don't mean any of that. It don't have to mean that essentially. But I'll say yes. If they utilize social media better, they can they can get paid off of that. And I feel like if they would if they would um, get into that SWV escape bubble and do and do a tour with them or a reality show with them, it will introduce them to like a new fandom and get them different get them different things. You know, get them more opportunities that they're probably not um, privy to. I think they could still have it, but in my opinion, I like I've said twice um i think at this point at this stage of the game they are pretty much like a nostalgia act uh, so anything that has to kind of do with that i think they could really flourish in um as far as the verses the only because it, it's weird because if we're talking about against another girl group in my opinion it would have to be destiny shots but they would have to get back together for that whether it's the three of them or all four or five but as far as, you know, against a boy band, maybe, maybe Boys to Men or a new edition or something. Didn't we talk about we that? Did. Like about Boys like Invo doing, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it's like there, there isn't really another girl group that could compare to Invoke in that era, really. Right. Except like Escape or SWV around that time period, but they've already done it. So I feel like Boys to Men, Boys to Men will be, will be like a great. Uh, versus battle in vogue and voice men, but I mean, back to the rapid fire question: it, it you're gonna exclude Dawn and Maxine from that versus? I absolutely not. Oh no, no, no! I mean, they can't. Well, oh, no, oh no, not not you. I'm I'm just talking about in general. Like I'm I'm just in, just in general. Like they would have to be extend involved. Extend the invite. Like, extend the invite. They won't show, but extend the for invite. Sure. I, you know what? I, I, I could see Don. I could see Don. Well, they get paid for versus, so I'm sure Don and Maxine would show yeah. up and get their check. I think I think Don and Maxine would attend. I mean, yeah, because even when they did the whole thing for Sylvia Rome, Don did say she originally didn't want to do it. You know, if you remember, but Maxine kind of had a you know push her to do it, and then I think they said that there was money involved. So, and Don said it, it involved her, so that's why she showed up or something. So. And they and they went viral, and they looked great, and it was a great moment. For, it was a good moment for their legacy and as the well. Moment was it lost because <laughs> they should have capitalized. I, I, it, I, I'm like, I wonder what I feel like, I, and I feel like Rona was probably a very good sport because she was the one with the camera. She was doing the boomerang. She was taking the footage because she knew that it was a moment, you know. But I, I can, I can imagine like what the tension was like. Like, were, was Maxine and Dawn, like, were they talking to her? Were they being short with her? You know, like, you know, I, I always uh, I always imagine, like, being a fly on the wall, what that would be like. But, you know, they, they made it work. I mean, maybe that's now, because I know when Dawn did one of those interviews, she had mentioned that she met Rona years before, like, I think when she first came back in the late 2000s. I think they met, like, on the tour bus or whatever, and they hugged and you know, they got to know each other. And this is right before they had that BET performance with Alicia Keys. 
and how um, even with that, like Rona was upset that she didn't get to be a part of it um, because Terry had to let her know, you know, you can't be mad at what people are used to seeing, which is the original lineup. And Maxine, I mean, Don has always said that, you know, Rona has always been gracious to her and Maxine in public and she doesn't have anything like bad against her. That was then now, as far as now, she has said some things. Like even as little as you know, saying that Rona aesthetically doesn't fit with the group, like she's too tall and. But it's true. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's a shade if it's that true. Rock, that rocket video. That rocket video tells a different story. It does. That rocket video tells a different mm-hmm. story. Y'all give it. Y'all give because, that away because more than they, it because deserves. because they they found a stylist that was able to home that uh, a modern aesthetic with the current trio. They look. They look good. They look. I mean, I think they look good. You know, I'm just saying with Don. Beautiful like, Yeah, they look. They, ah! killed it. they killed it. Yeah, and I agree. I think I forget who said it, but Rona does look good with the bob. You know, I like her with her braids and everything, but she looks better with the bob. It fits her face more. One hundred percent. That bob is iconic. Uh, yes. And not too many people uh, can pull that off either. So. Nope. I would love to see like her do like. I, I want to see the girls play with color in their hair. Cause they all wear black. I mean, Rona will do like a like brown or like burgundy hair in her braids, but I would love to see like them play with. I think no, I think uh, Cindy has played with like blonde highlights, maybe. I think, and I think Terry, I want to say, has done like a pink streak. I want to say, but I, I would love to see them play with play with color, uh, especially Rona, because I feel like she has to face some face structure for it. So now we're getting to our submitted letters which is, you know, one of the highlights of our episodes. Uh, and this first letter, this first letter comes from, uh, I don't know if this is your real name. If it is, I apologize. Percival Beauregard Smith. <laughs> yes, a name. Uh, hello, okay, hello, Percival. Um, and Percival says, Greetings. I must express my utmost admiration for your latest episode featuring Terry Ellis. It has served to reiterate her esteemed position in my regard. Grateful appreciation is extended for delineating her pre-in-vogue and solo endeavors. I maintain that she, this is, this is such a, this is, this is written like a Percival, very, very <laughs> like a, a student in classic. I maintain that she boasts the most intriguing history. This was an erudite and enjoyable installment and a testament to your superb production. Thank you. I eagerly await the episode of Maxine, my other esteemed subject of interest. Adoration of the program prevails. Postscript, might I implore the individual known as JP to procure an alternative microphone, to procure an alternative microphone as the current one renders a harsh, disquieting auditory experience. Your equipment harks back to the times of Queen Victoria, and I entreat you to improve, for a troop is only as strong as its most feeble component. Expressions of gratitude for your attention to this matter. Percival, your devoted admirer from across the pond. Matan, is that you? No, I'm kidding. So anyway, (laughs) next letter comes from Justice Jackson. Yeah, let, let's get to hey, you. Hey, y'all, Justice like... <laughs> I wanted to reach out and just apologize for missing out on joining you guys for the final recording. 
Um, life has been lifing over here, but I just wanted to check in and say congratulations on another entertaining season full of red facts, shade, and read downs galore. You guys are awesome and really are a critical asset to giving the EV fandom a public voice as well as giving our ladies their due flowers. Keep up the good work. Looking forward to another awesome future season. One love, justice. P.S. You'll be getting a part two letter. I got to catch up on the Masterpiece Theater episode. Y'all know that's my favorite album, so I got to come through with a full review. Ha ha. Aw. Thank you for our yeah, nice thanks, letter. Justice. justice. <laughs> a, a nice one. Talking okay. about my and we were, we were How dare you? Okay. We were sad that you were able to make it, Justice. We were actually excited to like uh, record with you, but you know, next time. Next time for sure. Third time. Right. This is this is. We just came out. We came from talking about the harsh side of social media and how you got to deal with the people in the comments and the trolls. And uh, Percival just did the same thing we was talking about to JP. And that's how you deal with okay. it. You just move on. Uh, it, you just keep it moving. An example of how to how buy to buy me a new microphone, Percival. <laughs> buy it for me. <laughs> Thank you. The hey, your microphone, your microphone is fine, fair. We hear you just fine. <laughs> the next email comes from Serafina, and Serafina says, "Hey, I had to drop you all a line with a question that's been bouncing around in my head lately. So, as a diehard Invoke fan, I've been daydreaming about this wild concept of a time traveling girl group led by these fabulous ladies. Just picture it: Invoke with their killer harmonies and killer dance moves, hopping through different historical eras. It's like a musical time machine. They could be serenading the Renaissance or bringing in their infectious energy to the twenties. The possibility." are endless and I can't help but wonder if In Vogue were to create a time time traveling girl group which historical era would you want them to revisit and why? Can you imagine their harmonies adding a touch of Vogue-ish flair to the Renaissance or maybe grooving in sync with the 20s? Or maybe an ancient civilization. Looking forward to tuning in and joining the conversation Serafina. Serafina did you come up with the Masterpiece Theater concept? Like it's giving, it's giving the call is coming from inside the house. No. <laughs> <laughs> that this actually is like an interesting idea to consider. Um, I would love to to hear them do music like kind of like in the Renaissance era. That's I mean I feel like we've all been talking about still wanting them to go through with their dance album. Um, so I would love to hear, you know, like them do some like some like voguing stuff. Um, you know, uh that would be cool. Like something like Summer Renaissance or, you know, something like that. Or or Cuff It, you know. I will I would love that. And maybe like a past era, uh maybe the seventies. I would love to hear them do some disco. That that'd be interesting. Um mm-hmm. the part about the twenties era, that would be I would love for them to do that, like you know, some blues, like very like Ella Fitzgerald at a James type of material, you know, just be very like, you know, very much like a chanteuse, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, it'd be interesting to, to kind of see them do that type of music and have that approach. I mean, I think we, they've done this before they've dabbled in this, but like, I think the forties, like that sort of like Andrew sisters, boogie, boogie, boogie boy, like era would have is ma- tailor made for like the harmonies, right? Like, um, so that's, I think that's a given, but I also really like the Motown era, like that sort of that era of girl groups, the Supremes, et cetera. Like they would, I would have really enjoyed listening to them 
not as a cover, but actually like imagining like in this sort of fantastical, <laughs> like hypothetical we're talking about, like that would have been really interesting to hear them as originate as a group during that era of music, which is such a formative reason why music is the way it is. Motown sort of paved the way for so much of what we like now. So I don't, I don't want to hear nothing from the twenties or thirties. I don't know. We weren't even free. <laughs> I mean, we had, I mean, we're, 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 no, I don't want to hear anything from that period, but I wouldn't mind seventies and eighties. <laughs> JB. <laughs> we weren't even free at that time. <laughs> I mean, I, yes. I don't want to hear anything from that era. But yeah, I could, I could do a little disco, you know. Yeah, seventies and eighties were just a great era for music. Um, so yeah, I think that I think they would shine. Ooh, but give them some, I mean, like that post disco, like the post disco, like Evelyn Champagne King era of music would have been mm-hmm. so good. Mm-hmm. Alrighty then. So you guys, um, final thoughts. Any final thoughts about Invoke's music, their legacy, anything that we haven't touched on that's just dying to get out of you? Um, I will say one thing, and you guys kind of touched on it um, in previous episodes, you know, as with them deciding not to work with other producers. I think that's one of the factors in their legacy, why they haven't been, um, they haven't gotten, they haven't gone as far as they can go, you know, because of the fact they have limited themselves to, you know, a a certain producer or producers, Mm -hmm. I should say. Um, And this is, and this is why I said in my other, uh, the other part of my letter two episodes ago, why, I felt like people like Dawn and Maxine and even Rona, they're a little bit more receptive to experimentation. I think Cindy and Terry, they've gotten so used to, not only with Denny and Tommy, but just, you know, a lot of certain things, even just something as simple as like their color scheme, you know, as far as their costumes go, they've gotten very complacent and they've gotten comfortable. And yes, it could be because they're older, um, you know, they're in a different um, space in their life now where they want to kind of just, you know, just perform and not give it too much thought. But I feel as though had they worked with, you know, say Dark Child or, um, you know, Raphael Sadiq a little bit more. I know they worked with him on that one song, um, I think from Electric Cafe. But, you know, if they worked with him more or if they if they had like um, if they had like a sound like Lucy Pearl had, you know, when they came out, more of like that neo-soul funk uh, type of sound, then they could have um, garnered more success. Because uh, so it's not just about like the lineup changes or um, them just doing the hits. It's, it's a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, because I think they, I think Envo could do, you know, more like current R&B. Uh, they could do hip hop. They They've done rock. They've done some soul stuff. They, they've done some EDM with Electric Cafe. So they have the capabilities to do these things. Uh, even in uh, the most recent letter I submitted, um, which I'm sure you guys will touch on in a later episode, you know, the whole Rough Town project. Um, because I think during that time, it was just Cindy, Terry, and Max. Rona hadn't come back into the group yet. I think Mac, uh, Dawn had just left again, like she always does. Uh, but there, so much. There, <laughs> there was a there was a song that they did um, 
with uh, a rapper named Molly called What's Her Face, which had a lot of, looking back on a lot of uh, airplay uh, appeal, which could have um, been, you know, top 40 easily. Um, I guess I would say <clears throat> I still believe in, in Vogue as a brand, as a legacy. Um, I believe that there is a place for them in this current uh, industry bubble. I just uh, pray that they are able to find a team that can help them utilize that the, the modern way the industry is going. Um, I would love to would love to hear them the same way Maxine is experimenting and putting out music and singles. I feel like in Vogue should do the same thing. No albums, just um, just sing just singles, radio singles, and 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 an EP with three or four songs on it, and just keep it pushing. You know, and keep adding stuff. Do so, do some videos essentially. You know, and um, find a stylist who can marry modern style with their with their aesthetic, essentially. I, I I don't fault them for being, you know, women of a certain age and being more conservative, essentially. I don't fault them for that, but I feel like there's a way that you can make that fashion forward. And I don't think that they have reached... I, I think that when they were with Michael Mann, you know, rest his soul, that they found that, you know, because he made the girls look amazing. On, on all their spot dates as well as in their rocket video in their promos like they look great even on their electric cafe uh album cover I thought that they were styled to perfection on that they should they, those outfits should be uh stage outfits to be quite honest with you um but yeah I, I feel I just you know my final thoughts are just I, I just want them to continue to evolve and not get complacent and um I feel like Janelle Monet is a is a very very great example of how you do a metamorphosis you know she did an interview where she had mentioned that when you know because she was just wearing tuxedos in black and white you know for the first a half of her career and then she started venturing out into like black and white ensembles where it was dresses and uh, different fabrics and her hair was changing and now you know sis is showing her titties on Instagram <laughs> you know what I mean so I feel like and, and she mentioned that she didn't want to be a slave to her own beliefs and so I feel like it's okay to revere and regard and and hold in high regard the legacy of In Vogue, but you don't have to be a slave to that legacy. And and you know, oh, well, we have to stay. We have to stay true to the to the In Vogue brand. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to just hold on to nostalgia. Like there's a place for that, but in modern times. Um, and I say that with all respect and love. Uh, so yeah, shout out to In Vogue, all all six of them. <laughs> <laughs> And so it's with mixed emotions that we say goodbye to one of our co-hosts today. It's hard to let go. We're grateful for the time we've spent together. So would the person departing like to share a few words before leaving? Um, well, uh, so this is, for all the viewers, this is my final episode um, of of uh, Part of Us Invoke Fancast. I uh, have really enjoyed being a part of it because y'all, like I said, I'm an Invoke super 
fan. So like being a part of, you know, being able to like record with you guys and even correlate with our producer, the listeners, like just like the whole community that we're a part of is really, really cool. I, I didn't I didn't know that it would last three seasons, so I'm like, we've been we've been doing a damn thing. Uh but yeah, so I I am, you know, got some stuff that is happening in my life that I am going to put all my time and effort into. Uh so yeah, so I, I but I have enjoyed being a part of this community. I definitely will still be tuned in. You'll still see me in the comments and listening and you know and etc. and all of the things. So yeah, uh uh yeah, but this is my final episode. So I appreciate you all who have embraced me and uh got me together in the comments and uh uh voted for my uh covers list. Thank you so much. I demand that we can. <laughs> But yeah, so thanks for thanks for uh, bringing me uh, into the fold, and I and I and shout out to whoever uh, replaces me. I will not don you. I will embrace you the way Michelle did Latoya. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we do have a message uh, for Champ from our producer Matthew. Matthew writes, "Hey Champ, my man. As we come to the end of another season, I wanted to take a moment to give you a proper send off. It's hard to believe that this is going to be your last episode with us, and it's definitely." bittersweet i just wanted to say that you've been an amazing co-host and we're all going to miss you you brought so much energy humor and talent to this podcast and your insights into the world of music have been invaluable and i gotta say your sense of humor is something we're all going to miss around here your shady remarks always kept us on our toes and had us cracking up even on the toughest days and let's not forget your singing every time you belted out an invoke hit we couldn't help but groove along with you it's been a pleasure working with you you're destined for greatness and we can't wait to see where your talents take you so from all of us here at the pink of the podcast we want to say thank you thank you for sharing your talent humor and passion with us you made an indelible mark on this podcast and i thank you i wish you all the best on your next adventure and we'll be rooting for you every step of the way and who knows maybe we'll even get you to make a surprise cameo on the podcast Yes. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. I do. Aw. Tear, tear, tear. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. And with sure. that being said, friends, that is the end of our season here. So please make sure that you stream part of us on Audible. Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. And make sure you visit us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at InvoCraze. And on Twitter, you can find us at Part of Us Fancast. Thank you so much to Romello for joining us on this final episode. Thank you, Romello. The send-off episode. You are awesome. And we will see you all soon. All righty. Buddy up, 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 buddy This episode of Part of Us at Invoke Fancast was researched, written, produced, and edited by Matthew at Culture Inject Productions. The intro and outro music was produced by Wolves and Vincent Tone. We're more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on Invoke and chat with other fans by visiting Invoke Craze on Facebook. You can also follow us on YouTube and Instagram at Invoke Craze and Twitter at Part of Us Fancast. Part of Us and Invoke Fancast is not endorsed by Invoke, E1 Music, or Invoke Records and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. 
Invoke and its names, images, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of the respective copyright holders. Wonderful. Yeah, that was a good episode. I I really enjoyed it.